Listener Production. Welcome back to the Great COVID Reset. One of the most interesting discussions I've had during this series was with Dr. Keith Souter of Listener's Global Truths podcast. He's provided some clarity and purpose at a time when decision-making has been very difficult in the fog of war in this pandemic. And it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Keith Suda once more. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So, are we feeling optimistic? I think there are grounds for optimism, right? So, basically, you've got three ways of thinking about this. One is in terms of the health crisis, and that looks like it'll be over in the next two to three years, right? The vaccine has been developed, or a variety of vaccines, been developed in record time. That's the good news. This is unprecedented, the rate at which they've been able to get a vaccine done. That, by the way, shows the improvements in medical science. Every year you live, medical science gives you another three months. Until COVID came along, generally speaking, people were living longer all the way around the world. So that's the good news. So health crisis over and done within the next two to three years. There will still be pockets, and so I think we'll need to be on our guard. Um probably mainly around the wearing of masks. In the last few weeks, uh, research has shown that, in fact, uh, we don't need to use quite as much disinfectant as we do. So there will still be pockets, but the good news is that the health crisis really seems to be, well, we can look forward to two to three years and it'll be over. The School of International Futures then looks at the economic crisis and they're saying that that'll be around for the next five to ten years. Uh, It's interesting to note that the British government, which has the best economic statistics in the world, they've just been at it for much longer. Uh, Last year, when they had to look at how the British economy had collapsed, they had to go back to the year 1707, 1707, the Great Frost, to look at such a dramatic collapse. So in other words, you know, the Depression in the 1930s didn't create the collapse that we experienced last year in Great Britain because of the COVID crisis. So it's been unprecedented in terms of the decline in in the economy, the crash in the economy. I was talking to one banking official who said that the COVID crisis has enabled them to push through six years of banking reform in six months. Namely, they want to move towards a cashless society, people doing everything in plastic. If you're a government official, you'd like that. You can monitor how people are spending their money. And if you're a big company, you can see how customers are spending their money rather than as cash. So there's been a huge economic transformation that has taken place. Um, I think that we can look forward to a, a high period of economic growth as we start to get out of this because of all the amount of money which governments have been pouring in. That's the good news. They've been able to handle this crisis better than the 1930s. And also, I've got to say, in the case of the British government, and the American government in 2008, 2010, they actually made the the great financial crisis, the global financial crisis, worse by cutting back on expenditure. Remember, here in Australia, we avoided a financial crisis. This time round, the British and American governments have been following the Australian example, and we've been doing it automatically. So that has put a lot more money into circulation. So you can be far more optimistic about this crisis than you could say with a global financial crisis. So we've gotten to a good place. We've gotten to a good place uh, here in Australia. And by that aspect of going 
household going early and continuing to do that. When we spoke last time, you introduced me to what you called the meta-narrative of right. Australia, <laughs> which was all about the rich don't have enough money, the poor have too much. Are we likely to return to that meta-narrative or do you see the penny dropping here for once? No, unfortunately, I've got to say, unfortunately, if you look at the government's announcement about the increased amount of money for unemployment benefit, it's just a few dollars per day. My guess is that what we ought to be looking at is what's called a universal basic income, UBI. Namely, everybody, when they turn 18, will get a sum of money from the government. There's a debate about how much that should be. So you and I would both get it, right? But then we would pay it back because we're paying taxes, right? But you've got other people who might well decide to spend their time in the garage inventing the next computer. (laughs) That's right. Through this crisis, I guess I've been like many people of my age group who wanted to see radical change, wanted mm. to see reset, wanted to address all these issues that we've seen that's come through those that wonderful years of economic growth, that we've seen the homeless increase, we've seen the, the digital divide, we've seen a lot of negative things in our society, the drug problem, law enforcement spending billions on failed drug wars, all that sort of <laughs> stuff, right? And mm. so we thought this was going to be the moment where we'd have a COVID reset. But driving in here today, I see the same traffic, I, I hear the same political rhetoric, I hear the yep. same everything. Were we dreaming a few months ago when, when we believed this was the moment where there would be a period of creative destruction? Well, the Great Reset, of course, is the phrase that's being popularised by the World Economic Forum, and it's a subject of a vast number of conspiracy theories. Uh, it's been seen as Bill Gates's attempt to try to take over the world or uh, that of Dr Schwab, who runs the World Economic Forum. Um, we have not made the best use of this crisis. The banking industry has done you know, trying to abolish checks, trying to get rid of cash. But I think ordinary politicians are just locked into a very depressing cycle of negative thought. In Australia, we we have been lucky that the politicians have been willing to listen to the medical experts, but the politicians have not been willing to change their thinking a lot on, on the basic issues, you know, including sort of economic change, etc. And so that, that's been the depressing side of it. Remember, the good side is we get the vaccine very quickly, Australia and New Zealand have got politicians who listen to medical experts, but we have not had a great reset. But, of course, there are some people who are saying don't even talk about the great reset because it's a a global conspiracy theory. (laughs) But when when last we spoke, you talked about really exciting concepts like the government printing money to spend on national infrastructure projects Mm. that would keep employment towards a full level and the impact of JobKeeper on economic growth and consumer spending. And here we are looking at the next chapter. All that good stuff seems to be receding away and and we're going back to orthodoxy about surplus budgets and this type (laughs) of thing being the only goal of government. That's right. And that is the tragedy, that we have wasted a good crisis. As Winston Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And so we could have used it, as we did in World War II, just to reshape the global economy and introduce all sorts of major reforms. Or as President Roosevelt did in the 1930s, use the Great Depression to invent what is called the modern presidency and introduce programs for things like planting trees, for example, and building major highways. But that opportunity has been wasted. I think the part of the problem is that politicians no longer have this sort of big picture approach. You know, it's always point scoring. It's what's appearing in the, you know, the social media. It's the latest tweet, et cetera. So they really miss the big picture. And this overarching meta-narrative, as you call it, about 
debt being bad. Governments should not print money. They should not run big debts. And that's one of the the doomsday scenarios through COVID is your generation and those that go after you will be saddled with an enormous debt. But what happened after World War II with that debt? Well, we traded our way out of that debt. Um, How long? It varied from one country to another, but certainly gone by the late 50s in most cases. So we traded our way out of it. The problem that I have with politicians talking about debt is that they compare it with a household budget, but a government is not a household. The government, well, assuming you're not in the euro, but if you've got the Australian dollar, the American dollar, the British pound, you have control over your own currency. So you can print as much as you like, particularly if you've got a period of low inflation, which is what we have at the moment. And so there is no shortage of money, but there is shortage of political imagination. And so we'll see the end of the JobKeeper income support that's happening as we speak. Yep. What happens to our nascent recovery out of our very brief recession mm. if that stimulus goes? Well, that's the worry that I've got. I think it'll just be back to business as usual if we're not careful. We could actually have used this crisis for what in the United States has been called a Green New Deal, which, by the way, they haven't got yet. But, you know, just simply to say we will now use this extra government expenditure to reshape the Australian economy, create more jobs in, for example, infrastructure or in renewable energies, et cetera. We could have done that in that sense of, of urgency and the government has squandered that, unfortunately. Although I do notice here in New South Wales they're talking about more rail infrastructure, which is obviously a move in the right direction. So I'm, I'm not entirely despairing. I think that we're getting some new programs coming through, but not as much as we would like. Mm. Now... You told me to look at history last time, and I did. Um, When I look back at the 1919 pandemic, two years, uh, massive 50 million lives across the world. Yep. What happened next? The Roaring Twenties, a period of great exuberance and a lot of change socially, economically, and many other ways. Is history going to rhyme this time? or It's going to be different because that was coming off the back of World War I. So World War I had also introduced major changes. The servant class in Britain, for example, disappeared. So you had the four years and then you had the great pandemic, the great flu pandemic. So you've got to make sure that you're not giving too much of a boost to the flu for changing things when it could also have been four years of World War One. Well, put the two together, it's a, it's a significant it was a, of- a huge turning point in the history of the world or the Western world particularly, huge turning point. You put those effectively four, five years, six years of change certainly brought about immense changes. And, of course, because there'd been very little expenditure during World War I on domestic goods, there was this huge market that was open. As soon as we'd finished with the flu and the fighting, we were ready then for a whole new economic revolution, giving us the wireless set, et cetera, and the first versions of television all begin from this great expansion. This time round, I'm not sure you're going to get the same sort of dramatic expansion. The good news is the government is printing money putting more money into circulation. That is certainly better, but we don't have the same sort of pent-up demand, although having commented on when you look at the real estate market in this country, just seems to there seems to be no logical reason for that except that baby boomers, older Australians, still do have a lot of money. A lot of young people are not, and that's what worries me, you know, the long-term stress that's going to be on young people. Can I just say in looking at this report from the School of International Futures, they give us the good news about the health crisis. They talk about the economic crisis that will run for five to ten years. And then they also look at the psychological crisis 
And that I think is something which we need to keep on our radar screen. And they reckon that could be around for the next 15 to 20 years. What does that look like, though? It means that we've got a mental health problem in this country. We've got to keep our eye on the psychological destruction that's been caused. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your contribution over this year with the Great COVID Reset. It's helped me very much personally. I have to thank you for that because I think it has been a motivator. In the fog of war, to be optimistic <laughs> is the only viable option. Absolutely. You've always got to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Indeed. Thanks for your time. Thank you. At the end of 2020, my next guest predicted a summer like no other for the Australian economy as consumer spending bounced back from the COVID lockdowns. Sherelle Murphy, I am Chief Economist at Austrade, which is the government's promotion agency for trade and export. When many economists were pessimistic, Sherelle Murphy noted that Australia's population was at a record high because so few people were travelling overseas. After a winter trapped at home, Australians were ready to spend. Yeah, look, we're, I mean, we were expecting it to be a reasonably strong summer, a lot of pent-up demand. The economy was recovering faster than we thought. As you know, consumption has been particularly strong, particularly of those types of things that are replacing international travel. So, for example, you can't go on your international trip, but you therefore may renovate the home or you might even buy a new home. <laughs> so, hence, we've seen house prices pick up. I think Australia's progress beyond many of our competitors. And in fact, the IMF has even picked this up in its forecasts, suggesting that Australia will move from 14th to 12th position in GDP terms globally, simply because, you know, we are growing a lot faster than many of our competitors. I feel a certain euphoria at the moment, which may not be rooted in reality, that we've gone through this terrible period and it's over. I mean, in the hard numbers in the economy, what's it telling us about investment decisions, about the outlook for the future? You're right in the sense that we've had this nice kind of bounce back, which has been a lot stronger than most economists, in fact, I'd say pretty much all economists had expected. You know, the unemployment rate as at the end of February was 5.8%. Before the crisis, it was 5.1%. So while we're not there yet, we're certainly seeing the jobs market improve quite remarkably. Well, that's right. And then international trade and the borders aspect is really important because last time we spoke, when you were talking about the summer and the record population right now, I mean, that's been great for domestic consumption, hasn't it? But at the same time, trade has been affected, tourism has been affected. That's right. So the closing of the borders is incredibly difficult for some particular producers and suppliers. So, for example, if you're a cafe working out of Uluru, um, things are really tough because Uluru is a segment of the economy that relies almost exclusively on tourism and massively on international tourism in particular. However, of course, if you're a cafe working within two hours of a capital city, um, you're probably doing a lot better. Intrastate travel is quite strong in most states and territories. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of people reluctant to leave their kind of home base, but they're certainly willing to go away for a couple of nights. So, you know, very different things, again, depending on which part of the economy you're working in. Is Australia a better place now or we certainly feel we are? Economically, do you think so? Yeah, I think Australia is going to come out of COVID pretty well. 
couple of reasons for that. One is we've shown that we can manage a crisis really well, both on the health side and the economic side. Now, if that doesn't give international investors confidence in Australia's ability to get things right, I don't know what does. You know, we saw fairly low community transmission of COVID at the same time as actually not losing a lot of GDP and then regaining it quickly. So you put the two things together, plus of course all the things that Australia is is known for and does really well, including our amazing climate, our beautiful geography and the fact that, you know, we are an easy place to do business with great governance and strong policy which is adaptable and flexible just shows that Australia is a great place to do business and I think that in some ways COVID has let slip how good we are at doing things. We've seen consumer confidence pick up very, very strongly. What's missing, I guess, is business investment. And that's something that it's going to require, I think, a little bit more evidence throughout the economy that things are going well. You know, all the ingredients are there. Interest rates are low. The government's been providing a lot of stimulus, of course, into the, the business sector, both whole of economy and sector specific. Yeah. Just on a broader basis, do you think the world has changed through COVID for Australia and the rest of the world? I mean, I mean, I think a lot of us emotionally saw the opportunity for a reset. That's the name of this program, that there was going to be something fundamental, a step change paradigm change but how much has really changed oh look i think a lot a lot has changed i like to think about the example of the digital economy we saw an amazing fast forwarding of digital capability across the corporate sector so in one year we've seen seven years progress which is quite amazing you know that doesn't reverse you know clearly there are potential exceptional productivity benefits out of that So digital is, is I think, a really important part of the story. There will also be structural changes reflecting the fact that some sectors have thrived out of the COVID crisis while others have struggled. So think about the education sector. You know, clearly it's been really difficult for that sector with the loss of international students. Do international students come back? Are they as enthusiastic about travelling internationally for education in the future? Well, time will tell on that one. And certainly Australia has a great offering there. You know, we have many universities in in the world's top 100, but does the appetite come back amongst the, the student population? So, you know, there are definitely some winners and some losers. And I don't think, no, we, we won't go back to the 2019 economy anytime soon. So what if you're looking for work? How does the future beyond COVID-19 look? Once again, the predictions of doom were overstated. Kendra Banks is the New Zealand and Australian Managing Director of employment website seek.com.au. She sees remarkable growth in firms looking to hire staff. Kendra, when we last spoke, you were seeing a real resurgence in job ads, not just here but around the world, and I think we've seen now the end of the JobKeeper come off the end of March. What's the scene looking now like? Yes, it's been an interesting, interesting year. So I think we spoke sort of near the end of 2020, Uh, when we were starting to recover from COVID. Uh, And now speaking in April 2021, at Seek in Australia, we actually had our highest ever number of job ads posted in a month last month. So in March, we've been around in Australia for 23 years, and we had our highest ever month last month uh, in terms of people advertising for jobs. So we have seen um, really quite a, a stunning rebound, and that's not 
amazing things we're doing at Seek, though we are doing amazing things at Seek. It just reflects really the confidence coming back into the market and investment and hiring starting to happen again. Exactly. And I guess when you think back a few months and what you were sort of budgeting, forecasting for March, what was the difference? It was massive, to be honest. You know, you would never predict that kind of a bounce back. But what we've seen is probably more so than we expected and more so than we saw, for example, during the GFC, we've seen small businesses bounce back really quickly. So obviously, some small businesses let go of a lot of staff in the last year. And so they were rehiring roles that existed before the pandemic. So overall employment is kind of getting back to pre-pandemic levels. But in terms of job advertisement, there's been a lot of churn. You know, a lot of roles went away and have now come back. So the hiring volume has been a lot higher than we expected. Okay. And what about the mix of them? What sectors are coming through? Is it as you'd expect or what's coming through in the data? It's been very across the board. Probably the fastest growing are the ones where the lockdown had the biggest impact. So in particular, hospitality and tourism, retail and consumer products, advertising, sales, marketing, those really fell quite dramatically during the lockdowns and businesses were understandably really reluctant to hire big in those kinds of industries. Uh, But those have seen the most extreme kind of low to high bounce back. Some industries didn't really get that impacted by the pandemic, something like healthcare or mining, you know, their operations continued for the most part in Australia or even grew. And so those didn't have quite the same extreme swing, but are still seeing quite healthy job advertising. Right. Fantastic. Some of the more pessimistic forecasters were saying, well, the end of JobKeeper, end of March, that will change things. What are you seeing post-JobKeeper? Yeah, it's a little early to be definitive, but we certainly haven't seen any dramatic shift either in advertising or in job seeker activity on the site. So we've been seeing good volumes of visits to the site, but average number of applications. We haven't seen a real change since JobKeeper ended. It's been pretty, pretty stable since March. I think that's what's coming through in most of the available data, that it hasn't really affected it so far. No. And it's quite remarkable if you think about it, how um, what a big proportion of the economy was being supported by the government in the worst times of COVID. And to kind of exit from that quite seamlessly and without a major disruption is quite remarkable. It is. It plays to a feeling that I have, which is almost one of giddy optimism, really. I have to temper (laughs) myself because I look at 1919 and what happened there was the Spanish flu. Then, of course, what happens after that is the roaring 20s and there's the the world is unleashed again, the exuberance that comes last for nearly 10 years. Are you hearing that sort of range of views? People are going from ridiculously optimistic through to, I guess, mildly. What's the consensus of views? Uh, Yes, there's definitely a range of views. Um, You you know, you could also find somebody who thinks, well, with what's happening in India right now with COVID cases just out of control, with the questions about vaccine rollouts in Australia, I think you can find some pessimists out there as well. If we look at what overall stats are telling us, the NAB runs a really good business confidence survey. And they also, I think, had a record confidence level in March. So general business confidence is definitely high. Job seekers are starting to feel more confident in their ability to get a great new job. I think on average, we're definitely seeing confidence uh, rise across Australia. The point you raise about India, we've just spoken to a a thoracic surgeon in uh, Hyderabad, and it is just tragic at historic proportions there. And I guess that is the unknown factor right now because they're talking about those strains, they are resistant to vaccines. I guess this is the the imponderable 
that could undermine the confidence you're seeing and a lot of other people are seeing. Yes, I think that's right, unfortunately. And it's very, um, very tragic what's happening in India and the, the number of people and, and loved ones who are impacted is it's quite overwhelming, really. It might be that we're unfortunately still very early days in this from a global perspective. And as we open up our borders in Australia, what that's going to mean, there's definitely a lot of a lot of unknowns still with the health situation. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's unfolding minute by minute at the moment, and it's not peaked. And again, this confidence is very fragile. So when you looked at over this year, it's been a roller coaster ride. Have you felt that in your business? Absolutely. A year ago at this time, our revenue had just fallen by 60%. You know, basically in a matter of a month, our revenue fell by 60% because that was the worst part of the COVID outbreak in Australia from the perspective of confidence, right? And job Mm. advertising and hiring is all about confidence. Do you have confidence to keep investing in your business, to keep bringing people on and saying you'll pay them? It's an emotional game as much as anything else. So we, um, having gone from that depth to now having our all-time record month is uh, head spinning (laughs) to a certain extent, but obviously we prefer this side of it than the other side. To me, it was never in doubt, but I didn't have a dollar invested on the outcome. So it was easy for me to be optimistic, (laughs) but I think we are faced with India and issues still in Africa and so forth. We are faced with Australia being our borders continue to be closed for a while. And one thing I always tell people at the moment is what when you look at the traffic being worse, it is worse. Everything else is busier because we have more people sitting in Australia right now than at any time in history. Because <laughs> yeah. nobody, nobody's gone on holiday. Correct. And I think in 2019, those tourists going out spent $65 billion. So that money's being invested in the economy. And I guess you're seeing it come through in jobs and, and job ads. Yes, we are. Absolutely. And that accounts for some of this massive growth in hospitality and services and retail that we've seen. There's certainly, you know, Australians holidaying at home is making a difference. But hopefully the Kiwi is coming over as well pretty soon. That's all from the great COVID reset for now. The months ahead will determine how Australia comes out of this global crisis. Personally, I've never felt more optimistic about Australia's place in the world. It remains to be seen how well we seize the opportunities that are coming our way. The Great COVID Reset is written and produced by Adam Shand. Mixing, editing and original score by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. Associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly Shan. Listener.